passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Post Wrestling's post show of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Southern Showdown, emanating from Festival Hall in Melbourne, Australia. My name is W.H. Park. I'm the co-host of the Post Perez podcast, which I usually do with John Pollock, but John Pollock is not available today, so I thought I'd get some local perspective, so to speak, and uh, called up one of our uh, patrons from Australia. His name is Chris Thunder. Chris, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you, WH and yourself. I'm pretty good. It's a, it's a Saturday here in Japan. I We're in the same time zone, roughly, so it's Saturday for you in Australia as well, correct? Yes, yes. That's that's one of the refreshing things about watching New Japan pay-per-views. Normally, the events on New Japan World, for us, it's only an hour delay from the East Coast of Australia. Yeah, so where exactly in Australia are you from, Chris? Um, currently living in central Queensland, so about six, seven hours north of Brisbane, which is the state capital of the Queensland state. Right. I've been to Queensland last year. I went to, uh, I landed from, uh, so I went from Narita Airport to Hong Kong Airport, transferred, and then I landed in Brisbane Airport. And then my friend and I, who's Australian, he, he's from Bucarina. Uh, he picked me up in Brisbane. We met a friend of his in Brisbane, and then he took me to his sister-in-law's uh, summer ho- house in, in Bucarina in this, uh, what is it, the Sunshine Coast. Beautiful area. Loved it. Love Australia, by the way. Fantastic people. <laughs> I say this, though. Like, I say this to my Australian friends here in Japan. Oh, yeah, Australia. Australia's lovely people. They're like, where did you go exactly? And I say, I said, I went to Brisbane, Bucarina, and I went to Sydney. And they're like... Are you fucking crazy? Like, no, they were lovely. I, I don't know what people are talking about. What, what are you talking about? They're, Australians are very nice people in my, in my estimation, Chris. I don't know. You as an Australian maybe have a different perspective about your fellow countrymen. No, as long as, long as you're nice to us, we're nice to you. And most of the tourists, as long as they're nice to us, we'll be nice back to them. If you want to be rude and snooty, then we'll be sort of rude back to you as well. No, no, no. I'm, I'm Canadian, so I'm the... One of the politest types of for- tourists in the world. That's that's complete horseshit, by the way. Because <laughs> not that I'm not that I'm not a polite tourist. I am actually quite. No, I can't believe that that you were but, polite. But but like to say that all Canadians are polite is is a is a total like lie and falsehood that I, I I'm sad to expose the 
the reality that we're we're not that much different from a lot of Americans that go overseas, to be quite honest with you. And not that there are all Americans are bad to as tourists, but a majority of the Americans that I have run into in Japan, mm, I don't really necessarily want to hang out with them that often. I'm going to say of the Americans I've met, and I, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm going to just turn off all the Americans listening to this. I apologize. I love America too. Like I love Chicago. New York City is a great place. I, I love those places. Philadelphia is a nice place. Ah, I would recommend it. Chicago, wonderful place. New York City, great. Uh, Philadelphia, fantastic. I, I recommend those. But, you know, of, of like the number of Americans, I'd say about mm, 20% have been really cool. And I like those people. The other 80, I take or leave. But anyways, we're not going to talk about tourists from other countries. We're, we're getting off track already. Uh, this is one of my problems. Uh, yeah, so we're going to talk about New Japan's uh, big, I, and I'm going to say this with air quotes, big show from, uh, from Festival Hall uh, in Melbourne, Australia. And am I saying that right? Melbourne. Melbourne. Is that, is, am I saying it correctly? Say it again. Melbourne. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Not so like Melbourne, like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, not Melbourne, like the Born Identity. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, so just we have that clear for all our non-Australian <laughs> listeners out there. Uh, so, Chris, before we talk about the show itself, I want to ask you a bit about Festival Hall because they kept the announcers kept talking about the historic Festival Hall. So, give us a little bit of background about this venue. Sure. So, for those who don't know, Festival Hall is um, synonymous with Australian wrestling. Um, it's sort of the equivalent to our Corican Hall, our York Hall for the UK listeners, our Maple Leaf Gardens for the Canadian listeners, and our Madison Square Garden for the American listeners. Uh, it was opened in 1915 and has hosted boxing and re wrestling regularly since the early days, leading to its nickname, the House of Stoush. It was destroyed in 1955, but built... In, uh, rebuilt in 1956 before the Summer Olympics and hosted boxing. Uh, it's also home to a major, major music venue in Melbourne, hosting the likes of the Beatles' 1964 World Tour. Um, what, what's the capacity of this place for wrestling? Uh, around 4,000, I'd assume. That's pretty good. I mean, it does sound like, just from the history alone and like it's how it's used, it sounds very similar to like how... Like Cork and Hall uh, is used in Tokyo. So, like, very cool place. Have you ever been there? I went last year for the New Japan show because actually there wasn't wrestling for roughly 20 years until that point. And when New Japan announced I was coming to Australia, it was advertised as the last wrestling show at that place because there was fears of uh, them knocking down Festival Hall and replacing it with a high rise housing complex. Okay, so you were, you were lucky to actually. Get to go to how did you feel as like someone who follows wrestling and is australian to go to a building that has such a rich history in your country it was impressive just walking in there for the first time and like we don't have much australian wrestling on tv anymore and when my uh, parents were little and my grandparents were alive they used to watch a program called tv ringside it'd be an hour every week roughly from festival hall in melbourne or one of the other venues around the country so to go somewhere that historic and watch wrestling was was really great for me. Yeah, it sounds like a really cool place. It was just on the on the on the broadcast. It looked like a very like um, kind of had a Cork and Hall feel. Like I'm not gonna say it, it didn't look like high tech, 
you know, or anything like that. It didn't look like a mm-hmm. big arena, but it looked like a very intimate venue that, like, a lot of fans had good sight lines, it seemed like, which is yeah, the kind of place I, I like. I don't like these huge arenas or stadiums to watch wrestling in. Um, I like my favorite place is Cork and Hall. Uh, it's, it's one of the best <laughs> places because of its its relative, like, size compared to, like, you know, like Edeon Arena or, you know, Osaka Joe Hall, which are both great places to, to watch wrestling. But I just, there's something special about, you know, being in a building that doesn't house like I'm like over 10,000 people where like you're, you're very far away from the ring sometimes. It's, there's not a bad seat in Corican Hall. And it sounds like, and it appeared on the, on the TV that, that Festival Hall might be of a similar type of venue. I'd, I'd say the same for when I was there last year, just looking around and noticing because um, you, you've been to Corican before and on the TV, there's one side that seems to go up like a double tier sort of stand. Uh, what, sorry, what, what was that again? At Corican, there's like, um, there's a small stand where the hard cam faces and then where the hard, hard cam is positioned, there's like a larger stand that side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like that at Festival Hall where there's two larger ones to each side and then just floor seating. Oh, see, I, I, I like the, 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 the wall seating of, of Corican because it's actually got a backing, so I don't kill my back sitting the bleachers. And I don't like sitting on the, and I don't like sitting on the floors, so like, on, like, like chairs on the floors. Because I'm not that tall, so it's very hard sometimes for me to see over other people's heads. And so I, I hate doing that at wrestling show. So like the the orange seat section of Corican is my favorite place to sit. And I'm I'm of a same, similar stature to your average Japanese person, probably because I'm also Asian. So it's not a it's not a big issue for me. I know I have some friends who are you know like bigger bigger stature that you know sometimes those seats can be very difficult for leg room. But you know like that's not really something I'm too concerned about because. You know, I, I as long as I'm comfortable, I don't care about anyone else. I'm selfish that way. But but let's get to uh, Southern Showdown. Uh, we start the show. Uh, we hear the voices of our commentators. Uh, one, of course, being my old show partner from Japanese Audio Wrestling, Chris Charlton. And the other is the commentator from OTT Wrestling. I believe his name is Don Marnell. Yes, that's what I have written here. I haven't heard any of him before, have you? I've watched some OTT here and there, but I, I'm not like well versed to like you know know who he was or recognize his voice. Like I, I I'm gonna get maybe I'm gonna get more heat for this, but I, I can't necessarily distinguish the commentators on OTT broadcasts, like because they're both Irish. So I, like I'm not I don't have the ear for distinguishing this person. This is this Irish person, and this is this Irish person. They they all sound the same to me, I suppose, except for the Irish people I actually know in person and that i that i've talked to so uh i will say that no i did not know who don marnell necessarily was uh before this particular broadcast and i suppose that's because you don't watch a a lot of otv ott wrestling like i think i might have seen one or two clips here and there but i don't think i've ever sat down watched a full event of theirs well their events are like you know, they, they get a lot of hype and stuff like that. It's cool. I, I just don't have the time. Like, I'll watch, like, something involving Walter or Jordan Devlin or David Starr, like, any of those combinations in that massive storyline that they have in OTT. So, but I can't tell you who Don Marnell is as opposed to, like, one of the other commentators uh, on the show. So, but, I, you know, just right off the bat, I thought he did a fantastic job 
on the commentary, I thought very easy to understand. I think you can tell he follows the product. He was trying to uh, like propel the storylines. And I think he had pretty good chemistry with Chris Charlton. So what did you think about the commentary before we get into the matches? I really enjoyed the commentary the whole night. It, well, it probably wouldn't have been my first choice, not knowing Don. It worked out really well for the entire night. Yeah, I think more more or less I, I enjoyed the commentary. I, someone who ne- doesn't necessarily listen to the English commentary for a variety of reasons, but but the main point being is that I, I feel it's less authentic for my own personal experience to watch Japanese wrestling with English commentary. For me, watching Japanese wrestling emanating from Japan is more authentic to listen to the Japanese commentary. I make this point that if I'm watching... Uh, you know, if I'm like with anime, I like anime. I don't watch anime with the English dub. I watch it with the Japanese audio and the English subtitles. I don't watch Hong Kong action movies or kung fu movies with an English dub. I watch it with the the original language uh, and English subtitles. So that's to me is like it, it would be this. It would be the same with Japanese wrestling. I don't feel like I want to hear English voices watching this stuff. I can get enough with my own rather admittedly like low Japanese skills to be able to discern what the stories are and what's happening in the match. And and I feel wrestling is such a visual, you know, medium that you don't really need the yeah. commentary. So Well I watched the um the Kazuna Roadshow on Tuesday night without English commentary and I still gathered enough information off that not knowing any Japanese as to what was going forward. Yeah. And I, I got to say one thing, you know, like, you know, about one of the matches, it was the uh, Rocky Romero El Fantasmo match that I wasn't really enjoying the commentary because I, I felt there's too much of a, a pro bias towards Rocky from Chris and anti-ELP bias against, you know, from Chris as well. Primarily, I can understand because he's been spit on by El Fantasmo on numerous times, so I can understand why that w- would uh, like upset him and and have a and color his perception of one El Fantasmo, as, as well. Like if you if you know anything about Chris, like he he's he has a very you know like strong like I, I would imagine wearing suits for him is, is not necessarily his favorite thing, but uh, and so like he, he's very protective of those suits. I think so. Like for him to get like someone spit on them is is not cool. <laughs> him so i can see where he would actually be legit hot about being spit on or having water poured on him so i can understand it but i, I do think it's like okay it's it's it takes me out of it it's like okay you you're you're too excited about this match there's no perspective no objectivity i i prefer like you know a, a certain level of professionalism in in every match regardless of you know who's involved on the commentating or in the rings you know what i mean chris yeah to to not have that biased unless you've got a say like a special commentator there who might be calling a match that their friends in of course they're going to be biased but when you're the 24 7 announcer you don't want to be showing that bias to anyone yeah and i i think it's it, it it was a good performance overall from chris because he's more the translator who's like jumping in on a three-man booth and this it, 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 on this show he was you know the, the lead guy more or less with Don Marnell as kind of the I felt I felt Chris was more the lead commentator on this show and Don Marnell was more the color guy. How, do, would you agree with that or do you have a different opinion? No, no, I agree with that. And it might be just that Chris has 
currently been working with um, New Japan World for longer. Yeah, I think, you know, seniority definitely plays into it. And he's definitely the guy who's well-versed on all the storylines and what's happening with each and every wrestler on this show. But again, Don Marnell, excellent job. I, I would not be opposed to him coming back and doing more shows. I would even feel it would be like something that would incentivize me to like maybe check out a match or two in English after I've watched the whole show in Japanese. But let, let's move on to the show itself, Chris. Let's talk about the first match. We had uh, a six-man tag uh, featuring Michael Richards, Andrew Villabos, and Mark Twe taking on Toa Hanare, uh, Nick Berry, and Shota Umino. And what can you tell us about some of these participants? Yep. So Michael Richards is a New Zealand wrestler who studied in both the New Japan and Farway Dojo systems. He's also a trainer for Farway Dojo. Uh, Andrew Villabos is an Australian wrestler who studied in both New Japan and Farway Dojo systems. He's previously wrestled in Sydney as Darius Vega. Uh, okay. Sorry. Um, Mark Tui is a New Zealand wrestler who's studied in the Farway Dojo system. He wrestled with Yuji Nagata against the Gorillas of Destiny on last year's New Japan Tour. He's also the general manager slash coach of Farley Dojo. So those are the three Farley Dojo students. Right. Uh, then there's Nick Berry, who was a late replacement for Ren Narita, possibly due to Australia's strict visa rules. Um, he's an Australia wrestler who's mostly wrestled on the Melbourne scene as a tag team wrestler. Most notable for his time in Melbourne City Wrestling, where he's won multiple tag team championships as a member of the Brat Pack stable. Okay, and are, are you familiar? Have you seen any of these guys live in, in a, like on shows of these guys maybe coming to doing shows in Australia or even like Nick Berry working other places in Australia? Just Nick Berry last year when I went down to Melbourne uh, in October to see Melbourne City Wrestling. And what's your estimation of him? He's good. He's he's a new wrestler. But I think most of these guys are just sort of starting out at that New Japan Farley Dojo sort of level. Yeah, my own impressions, I thought of all of them, uh, of the of all the guys who aren't necessarily contracted to New Japan, that like Villabas had the, the best look and I, I I see a lot of potential in him. I thought Richards had like a good like foundation and good technical technical skills. Mark Twee, I, I I gotta just I'm gonna hand wave that dude. I, he seemed like he's good in the ring, but the guy's wearing a sleeveless hoodie throughout the whole fucking match, and I'm just like, dude, you look like an indie guy. Like you are an indie guy, but you look like an indie guy, and I just can't take you seriously if you're wearing. You look like an indie guy on the second biggest company in the world. Well, I mean, the thing is, is like, why are you wearing that top? You know what I mean? Like, why are you wearing something that's padded? It's got a hood. You know, like real realistically, if I'm a if I'm his opponent, I'm just pulling on that hood all the time. You know what I mean? So it takes me out of it, and it's like it doesn't add anything to him. I think it would have been more impressive if he's if he's you know wrestling shirtless. If he's got a if he doesn't have an impressive physique, it's okay. You know, like you'll get there. But I just yeah. think that that wearing a, a fucking hoodie hooded sweatshirt is just a shit look. So like I I'm gonna hand wave that guy, Nick Barry. I just thought. Uh, he's like again, like very indie look. He he seemed okay, little little, little, little goofy. His his like you know his his character work was a little goofy, so I I didn't take him too seriously. But he was okay. Like so you know like th that's my impression of these guys. 
like compared to like Toa Hanare and Shota Mino, they they're very like not on their level. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, indeed. And Nick Berry sort of plays um like a a loudmouth sort of sportsman person. That's why he's in the um the orange singlet and the um black shorts with the orange stripe. He's sort of more of a comedic heel. Yeah, so it, yeah, it it kind of was like weird to see him in like this match with like everyone else kind of ch- being kind of serious. But let's talk about the match itself. Like, so just for everyone, uh, so everyone knows, like, uh, Chris is gonna step up to the plate. He's gonna do a lot of the move by move, play by play of this match of of all the matches on the show. So, Chris, what tell us about about this particular match, this opening match for us? Yeah. So, Emino and Villabos started the match. Uh, sorry, I've lost my place. <laughs> the action. The action is fast. Barry and Tui are tagged in with a lot of trading headlocks in the opening going. The Fale Dojo team made quick made quick tags isolating Barry. Billabos hits an sorry. Billabos hits an elbow tackle for a two count on Barry. Tui Jesus, sorry. That's okay. No problem. I, I think no problem. Don't worry about it. What, okay. what, I think the big story was on this on this in this match was like you know they're getting heat on on who like on on Barry right for the most part and he yeah, was, Barry sorry and then like the you know he's get, tagging in Umino and Hanare at various points to get the shine and then like I I felt the big story of the match was Torinare finally getting a tag in because he was kept out of the match for a long time and he then was he kept finally out gets for in. most of the match yeah yeah he gets in and he just cleans house on on everyone. And he gets the win with I get well, I guess it's the rock bottom, isn't it? Essentially, what he uses as his finisher. Yeah, so he, I can't he, I can't remember his name for it though. We'll just call it the rock bottom. He he's like he's big into like you know claiming kinship with everyone who has like kind of a Pacific Island uh, heritage, including the Rock. So he's using the rock bottom. We'll just say that. And he he yeah. pinned Villa Boss. How long was this match? Did you get the match time for this? Not this one, but I started timing afterwards. It was about 10 minutes. It's about 10 minutes. It, yeah, I thought it moved at a nice pace. It was a good opener. I thought it got the crowd like hyped up for the rest of the show. Uh, let's move on to uh, match number two. Go ahead, Chris. Aaron Solo versus Slex. So Aaron Solo is an American wrestler who studied in Fale Dojo. He's a 10-year pro who's wrestled in the United States, Canada, Mexico, and the United Kingdom. He also has a background in Taekwondo and mixed martial arts. He's also in a long-term relationship with WWE's Bailey. Yeah, you know, I got to say, I thought his entrance was really kind of, you know, just average. Like, it didn't yeah. excite me or anything. And then I look, I was watching him come to the ring, and I thought, this guy looks like a cross between Yoshitatsu and fucking Kona Reeves from NXT. And I'm just like, I, I immediately was just like, with I don't know. that if I red can... streak in his hair? But the real streak is comes from like Yoshitatsu, <laughs> and then everything else kind of reminds me of like a, a, a like a, a smaller Kona Reese, and I just I couldn't get into this guy. I was like he was handicapped in my eyes like right away, like just from his look because I I judge people on their looks in wrestling. So and unfortunately he he's, he was okay, but he was just like kind of there. Slex on the other hand, this guy looks like a fucking star. I was like whoa. Look at the charisma yep. emanating from this guy. He's got great entrance music. I, I like the jacket. Thank God he he takes it off when he starts to wrestle. It doesn't leave it on. 
I like I like the sunglass gimmick he does. Like this guy, what? It's like night and day. It's like day was wrestling night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Slex is an Australian wrestler. He's a 16-year veteran of the scene. He's most well known for his time in Melbourne City Wrestling, being a member of the Mighty Don't Kneel stable. He's faced IW, oh, then IWGP heavyweight champion Kazuchika Okada and then WWE United Kingdom champion Pete Dunne in single matches. He's also the current MCW World Heavyweight Champion. champion. Avid viewers of Japanese re- wrestling may recognize him from his time in pro wrestling Noah, where he teamed with Roderick Strong during the 2013 Global Junior Tag League, managing only one victory. He la- oh, last year in Festival Hall, he faced Jay White in one of the best Switchblade matches t- until that point. He's got nice pedigree to him. So how about the match itself? Flex receives a big hometown welcome. Sol- Solo is on top early with two big drops drop kicks before Slex returns with one of his own. Slex hits a rope-assisted backbreaker and an outside dive. Back inside, they work on top and Solo crotches Slex and and a neckbreaker gets a two-count. Fans are chanting, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. Slex hits a tornado DDT for a two-count. Slex then hits a Slex bomb, which is the blue thunder bomb, for a two-count. Both men retreat to corners before slow, Solo hits the running shin for a two-count. Flex hits a second rope superplex for a two-count. Flex decides, Flex decides to put on his sunglasses while standing over Solo. It's turned into a schoolboy for a two-count, with fans chanting, you can't beat Slex at Solo. Uh, then Slex hits a disaster kick and his Slex execution finish for the pinball victory at 9.42. During the post-match, he does his sunglasses pose as the fans cheer. Yeah, I thought uh, it was a nice match. The Slexecutioner, is that is that correct? Slexecution. The Slexecution. That's a good name. I, does he... So I take it he names almost every move after his name, like Slex something, Slexecution... Uh, anything else? Yeah, Slex bomb, things like that. Yeah, I think another one's Slexplex. The Slexplex, I love it. It's kind, of, it's kind of like Edge back in the day. The educationer, yeah. you know, the educator, things like that. I, I as a fan of Edge, you know, back in the day, and like, cause he's also like technically he's from Toronto. He's not exactly from Toronto. He's from a place called Orangeville, which is outside of Toronto. But you know, he just claims Toronto as his hometown, which I don't blame him. From Orangeville, Ontario, Edge doesn't have the same, you know, like, panaz as, like, you know, from Toronto, Ontario. That has a more panache to it. But anyways, you know, I always loved, what's Edge going to call some new move that he stole from someone this time? So it was really, you know, so I, I can see that being appealing for fans of Slex. You know what I mean, Chris? Yeah, very, very appealing. He's also... It'd be interesting to see if this leads to anything more with him if he goes to Farley Dojo or something else with New Japan afterwards. Right. Well, he's. But would he need to go to Farley Dojo? Like, I think he's has like uh, he has enough experience. That I don't think he needs to go to another dojo system. I probably not, but maybe just in the case of how New Japan would want him to learn everything, maybe before starting there. 
Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I think like if Slex does show up in the Japan Pressing, I would not have a problem with that. Let's move on to match number three. Uh, Taiji Ishimori and uh, Gino Gambino versus uh, Toriyano and uh, Yo from Rapungi 3K. Uh, <laughs> I, I have to ask you, uh, like, you're, you're, you're familiar with Gino Gambino. Does he always wear Birkenstocks to the ring? Come again? Like, does he always wear like fucking hiking boots to the ring? Is that part of his regular gear, or did he misplace his regular wrestling shoes or boots? He might have. I don't remember seeing him in like yeah those big boots. Well, they're hiking boots. I'm like, why is he wearing hiking boots? He he must have forgot part of his gear somewhere. I gotta say, just like because it didn't match anything else of what he was wearing, especially color scheme wise, I just thought. Well, this looks really unprofessional, but you know, like I, I guess it's better than him wearing going out there wrestling in socks. So we we, we take what we can get from from uh, Mr. Gambino's poor mal, uh, wardrobe malfunction in this case. Uh, I don't think we need to go deep into this match because I'll I'll just say this what uh, this about the match in my from my opinion is that yeah. half the match was good, half the match was shit. Okay, you can guess which half I thought was good. You can guess which half yeah. I thought was shit. Yano and Gambino have like negative fucking chemistry. It was terrible, absolutely terrible. And no offense to Gambino, I I know he's a he's kind of a name in the Australian scene, but here's the thing: the dude looks like he should be like flipping burgers at a beach barbecue, like after he just came out having swim, wearing his like you know his full on swimsuit. You know what I'm saying? Like this guy does not look like a wrestler. And he. Yeah, I guess. If you have a differing opinion, please tell us. I I'm I'm want to hear a, like something to support Gino Campino, please. I'm not sure. Like if they were supposed to do a different match as well, because it was originally a six man with Gato and Show as well, but Show couldn't make the um match. They said due to a flight, but it might have been possible visa issues as well. You know. Gino I'm always going to stick up for because he was one of the first sort of guys who brought me into what good Australian wrestling is with MCW. So I always sort of have a hot, a soft spot for him there. Oh, yeah, that's fine. I can totally get I that. I can under, understand why you're sort of picking on his gear at the moment and that. But, you know, I got to go. It goes beyond his gear for me. Like I'm watching this match and he, he feels like he's playing being a wrestler. Like, I don't see any, like, serious side to this guy in the sense of, like, why would anyone be afraid to, you know, to, to fight him? Or why would he be a threat to anyone that he faces? He doesn't look like a wrestler. He doesn't portray himself as a wrestler. Maybe just maybe this is an isolated thing in this match alone. I think, but... I think because for so long on the Australian scene, he was this comedic character, Mr. Juicy, and... This sort of has always been a match typed up since he did join Bullet Club. Oh, what if we get Juicy and Yano, Gambino and Yano? And I think he sort of dropped all his heel stuff he's been doing in MCW for this one night with Yano to try to go back to his comedy roots. Okay, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to be, like, defer to you, like, that he offer has more to offer. I, I've not seen it in any, not just in this match, but anything I've ever seen him in, which is, you know, to be fair, very limited, but I just don't get like, you know, what he is. I, I suppose large part of his appeal and his being placed in like commentary in new Japan and on this show was like his, that he's, 
very important behind the scenes in Australian wrestling. Yeah, him and um, him and Farley helped put together the last year's tour, from what I understand. So we, which also explains really like bad luck Farley being on these shows as well, or and New Japan in general. Okay, so I, I think just gonna, we don't have to go through this match too much. I I really don't think there was anything that like like groundbreaking in the Yo Ishimori stuff. Uh, basically, Yano wins. Low blow, roll up over Gambino. That's what I had in this match. And uh, do you have anything to add to to the the match, Chris? No, just despite being the hometown guy, the fans still hate Gino, chanting "fu Gino" at him. Well, maybe I'm not alone in like my estimation of Mr. Gino Gambino. But anyways, let let's move on to match number four: Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshiashi. Versus the Bullet Club job squad of Chase Owens and Yujiro Takahashi. What did you think about this match? I really enjoyed this match. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, I I don't know. Like, I like one guy in this match. You know, <laughs> everyone else I just hand wave. I'm like, ah, oh, Yoshihashi. <laughs> yeah, okay, Yoshihashi. Ah, uh, Chase Owens. Chase Owens. Yujiro Takahashi. Yujiro Takahashi. Okay. Yeah, I, I I thought it felt it felt like a house show. I wrote I wrote I, I put out a tweet. This match felt like like some TV match that I would watch during like you know WCW. No, no, fuck that. I I thought it felt like a WCW like a worldwide taping match between like you know like one decent guy. It's like Barry. It's like be Barry Windham, which would be Tomohiro Ishii teaming with like fucking Kendall Windham, his brother who's Yoshihashi, and they're taking on fucking, I don't know, uh, who would they be taking on? I don't, uh, like, Italian Stallion and fucking Randy Mulkey. You know, that's who I, that's what the other two are, are like to me. They're just jobbers. And I'm like, this is a squash match. This is a TV squash match. Yeah, you give Chase Owens his little hope spots here and there, but the guy doesn't look like a wrestler. I can't take him seriously. Like, why is he on my TV? I, I've been asking this for the last five years. Why the fuck is Chase Owens still on my TV? Oh, he's a good hand. Okay, but why doesn't he go to the gym? I don't understand that. Go to the fucking gym. Get some new gear and get a haircut. Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck's wrong with this guy? And and the guy drives me, like, that drives me nuts, but it, it makes me laugh. Like, I write something, and then he likes it. Like, and it's critical of him. And I'm like, okay, you got nothing better to do except, like, vanity search your name. Why don't you, why don't you go do some yoga or something like that? You know, like, get DDP yoga and just, like, work on improving yourself. Anyways, that's my Chase Owens rant for the day. Tell, tell, tell me why you like the match. Yeah, now looking back over my notes, I don't really like the match that much. Okay, so we can, uh, we can move oh, on. Just, just across the spot, Owens gets a Snapdragon, a V-Trigger, and a Jewel Heist all back-to-back on Ishii for a two-count. Yeah, I think Chris He made, hits three uh, finishes in a row for a two-count. Yeah, well, he's Chase Owens. He doesn't get to win, you know, unless it's a young lion or they're promoting some, you know, like some delusional like hope spot for him to win the U.S. title or something like that. But you know what? I, I think Chris had the the Chris Charlton had the, the the most horrifying like line of the night. He said, you know, Chase Owens is an honorary Tongan, but maybe with that series of moves, he becomes an honorary Trinity. And and I say no to that. You are he is never gonna be 
an honorary Canadian, a real Canadian, <laughs> nothing. I I I put the fucking kibosh on any reference of Chase Owens as someone from my country. So there you go on that. Very good. <laughs> Let's move on to where the actually the show actually becomes really good, and that's Rock Romero challenging El Fantasmo for the uh, Rev Pro British Cruiserweight title. Uh, you know, it, I, I, I was really looking forward to this match because ELP and Rocky Romero had a very good match at Cork and Hollow during the best of the Super Juniors, Chris. One of the matches of the tournament. Definitely. So why don't, let's go over this match. Uh, ELP uh, attacks Rocky before the bell even starts. And yeah, from there, what, what else happened? Uh, so before Romero gets to the, gets the up hand, knocking ELP outside and attacking him on the outside, ELP gouges Romero's eyes in the corner, but Romero fights back. Then exchange shots in the corner of the ring, but Romero pokes ELP in the eyes. Romero goes for the forever clotheslines, but ELP on him in a tree of woe and starts forever stomping him. ALP is getting the up hand before ALP shouts, go back to the commentary desk at Rocky. This is where I noticed that the um, commentary was a bit more biased towards Rocky than I would like. Well, I just thought the commentary was biased straight from the start, you know, due to, you know, Chris's unfortunate history with, with uh, one El Fantasmo, who is actually a, a real Canadian, by the way. Not that I want to, not that I want to actually claim ELP as as a Canadian, to be honest with you, but that he is, you know, he's a real Canadian. There you go. Yeah. With the fans enchanting back at ELP, you're a wanker. ELP goes and hits a top rope moonsault, knocking Ro uh, Romero off while landing on his feet. That was on the floor. He takes a water bottle from the English desk and spits over Romero. ALP no, does well, more accurately. He, more accurately, he spits at Chris Charlton like again. Like this is like his running gimmick. Uh, like I don't know what he has against Chris necessarily. It seems like this is, is not this just a, a bit. You know what I mean? Is this because I told him to stop making kids hats? Sorry. I said, is this because I told him to stop making the kids hats? I have no idea what 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 it is. You know so. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I, I never agreed with him doing that anyways. Like, I thought that was a real dick, like, legit dick move for him to be, like, tossing kids' hats. If he does it to an adult, okay. Like, I, I generally don't touch the fans. If they're not doing anything to you, don't touch them. Like, to get, quote-unquote, heel heat. But, like, when you're, when you're going after kids, like, go get fucked. That's what my, my message to ELP is. Okay. Um, ELP does old school, almost going around the entire ring before getting uh, crotched by Romero. Romero hits a coast-to-coast drop kick to ELP, then hits a hurricane runner. Rocky's hitting forever clotheslines, which unfortunately gets counted into a neck breaker for a two-count for ELP. Trading rolling near falls, along with each man trying and reversing submission halts. Romero it's a top rope move, then my feet dropped out at the 17th minute mark. Did you manage to catch the end? Yeah, so my my feet like died here. I was like, oh, what, ha what happened? Yours did as well? Yeah. 
I think it was from the source. I think it the the feet cut out from the um from the building itself. Like so, I think it was just affecting all of Fight TV. Yeah. So and it, then, it, should, it should be okay, like on the VOD on New Japan World in the future. So I'm not sure what happened in the exact finish, but when we came back live, ELP's music was playing. He was holding the belt, so I assume he won, and that was around the 19th minute mark when it came back. Yeah. So it 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 was a really good match. It was the best match up to this point. Uh, I really love. For me, the highlight was that beautiful, beautiful coast to coast that Rocky Romero hit on ELP. I I like they the, the announcers were going crazy. Like it's 18 feet. Can he hit it? Can he hit it? And he hit it. It was beautiful. So for me, I really like this. I think it's a nice continuation, another chapter in this ongoing story. I feel it's going to be an ongoing story between. El Fantasmo and Rocky Romero. I can see them maybe redoing this match at Royal Quest in August after the G1. Oh, in London. Yes. Yeah. So I can. We'll see what happens with that. I think like all the Rev Pro titles are going to be on the line on that show. Uh, let's move on to the IWGP Tag Team Title Match between Juice Robinson and Mikey Nichols versus the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatanga and Tangaloa. Uh, what were your initial thoughts about this match, Chris? It was your typical gorillas match. Lots of interference, lots of running in when the ref wasn't looking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any, any, I, any I highlights? didn't really enjoy it. No highlights for you? Well, towards the start, Juice got dropped on his back on the uh, ramp. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I felt like you're saying. I'm gonna just agree with your sentiment. That is a very, like, typical Gorillas of Destiny match. I, 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 big fan of Juice Robinson. So I thought he was a, I thought he's a little extra goofy here, even though he's supposed to be like kind of this, like, have this harder Serious? edge. Yeah, now kind of a harder edge. Dreads. Yeah, after the Moxley match, right? Yeah. But he's kind of just back to fun-loving Juice, more or less, and it, it was kind of contrasting with what. But the commentators were saying, like, ever since that match, he's been more serious, he's less fun-loving. But then, you know, he, yeah, baby! And, then, you know, like, from Juice, like, you know, getting the crowd into him and do, doing kind of goofy stuff. I'm like, really? It's the crowd, but the crowd wasn't really into him. The crowd loves the, loved the gorillas and loved Tama. And then, like, sort of no-popped for Mikey, who's the Australian in the match. Yeah, I, like, for me, I'm like, that that's the whole point of being on the show, isn't it? Is to, like, kind of like, get the, the hometown crowd on his side, being Juice's partner, and so they can maybe, you know, get some heat on the on the Girls of Destiny, like, freshen up the tag scene a bit. But, you know, the thing is with Mikey Nichols, like, I just don't feel he, he he's, like, acclimating well to the New Japan, like, landscape. I, for whatever reason, like, it, it baffles me, mainly because he's gotten over in Japan before when he was working in Pro Wrestling Noah, with uh, Shane Hayes and TMDK. So I, I don't know what it is about being in New Japan that makes him less exciting than he was, like, you know, I don't know, 10 years ago? I think it might be because for the majority of his career, at least internationally, he's been a um, tag team wrestler, whereas now he doesn't have Shane with him. He's sort of this singles guy who occasionally tags with someone else. I, I think that's why I think 
this is a good idea for him to be teaming with Juice Robinson because, like, you know, in TMDK, like, Shane Hayes was kind of the, the charisma guy of the team. And, and Mike Nichols more kind of like the, I don't know, the kind of power guy of the team with, like, backing him up. Um, he was a more serious aspect of TMDK. So I thought putting him with Juice is, like, a good idea because Juice can be the more, you know, you know, not to be, you know, cliched or make a pun here, but the more flamboyant one of the team, the more charismatic guy. And then Mikey goes in there, does all the power moves and like gets the hot tags, comes in, runs rough shot over the oppo- opposing team. But that's not happened. He does all the stuff, but it, there's no like oomph to it. You know, it's just like, he's, he's going through the motions. It seems I, I really want this guy to like, kind of just get it into the next gear because I think he has a lot of potential physically to be a, a, a good player, especially as a tag team wrestler. Most definitely. He, he has a lot of promise. It's just whether he can deliver in that New Japan system is to be seen. Yeah, so again, I think just for brevity, because like <laughs> this match wasn't that... It wasn't bad, but it wasn't good. It was just there yeah. for me. Uh, I, I thought the finish was incredibly flat, you know, and I just thought made Mikey Nichols look like a complete jobber. They rolled... Oh, Tamatanga rolls him up... Uh, yeah, go ahead. He rolls him up with roll, with holding the tights, and I was like, "That's it, that's it for this for this guy, the hometown guy, the the, the Australian on one of your big Australian shows that you're putting on pay per view for God's sakes." You know, I, I don't, I I just did not find this logical in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and just a minute before he does the um the schoolboy roll up with the tights, he's standing over the top of Mikey, and the crowd's cheering, "Tama, Tama." I'm going, what the hell? Yeah, you would think, like, hey, you know what? You know, the genius that Ghetto is, you know, like, hey, you know what we should do? We should heat up Mikey Nichols on Kazuna Road Tour, you know? And they did. Like, I went to the house show in my, in where I live, in Numazu, and, the, like, they, they really, like, he got the pin on Tangaloa. And it's like, that's where, you know, that's where they got the impetuous to, to make it the, a tag team title match, like him and Juice against the Grills Destiny. I thought, that's smart. You're leading up to the Southern Showdown show. Okay, you got to heat up Mikey. And, but I don't think they did anything more than that. Like that, you know, it's just now he's just another challenger. It's just a notch in the Girls Destiny's like belts, like of, of like all the challengers they, and teams that they defeated. And I just thought this is a complete waste of this guy. Like, I don't think it's necessarily all, you know, on New Japan. I, I do think Mikey Nichols has to like show that he deserves maybe a, a, a bit more focus. And maybe a, a a bit more like steam behind him from the company, but he's not going to do that with the way he presents himself in the ring. I feel. Yeah, I'd have to agree. Sadly. So, anyways, we'll we'll move on to the highlight, the absolute fucking highlight of this show: Will Ospreay defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Title against Robbie Eagles, the Sniper of the Skies, and. My first question before we get into the match, Chris, is why is Robbie Eagles wearing a bucket on his head when he came out in his entrance? That's to it was uh, Ned Kelly inspired. Ned Kelly's a famous bush ranger from the eighteen eighties Gold Rush area era of uh, Victoria. I see. So he's kind of like a, a a folk hero. Sort of a folk hero, cowboy, outlaw sort of person. Yeah. I see. So so Robbie Eagles is basically like. That's one of his, I guess, his heroes, and he's like paying an homage to this person. That's cool. 
I this is why this is why you're on here, Chris, because I would have no idea why he's wearing this outfit. I just like what 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 what's this all about? But with that context, it all makes sense now. Uh, he also so, came yeah. out to his um indie theme that he's used on the Australian indies. Oh really? Okay. That's cool. Uh, again, I I would not have the context for this, even though I've seen some of Robbie Eagle's Australian stuff. I like interest themes do not necessarily stick with me unless it, they're really, 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 really catchy, and I hear them many, 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 many times. So, anyways, uh, one thing that was of note was that El Fantasmo makes his second appearance on the show, uh, coming out with Robbie Eagles, and I just as soon as I saw Fantasmo, I was like, okay, angle, angle alert, okay. Eagles is leaving the Bullet Club tonight. That's what I thought immediately as soon as I saw El Fantasmo. Yeah, yeah. I thought, oh, crap. We're going to get another faulty finish, sort of screwed if finish here with El Fantasmo around ringside. Yeah, I, we'll talk about like the finish, obviously, in a minute. As, we through, <laughs> in a, as we go through the match. But right off the bat, huge atmosphere. So definitely this crowd came to see Robbie Eagles against Will Ospreay more than I feel that they came to see New Japan in general. They came to see some of the wrestlers from New Japan, but this was the big draw for this particular crowd. Yeah, and during the past fortnight, they put out two little um, mini documentaries on the New Japan English YouTube as well. They called him Road to Southern Showdown. It was like a sit-down interview with Robbie and one with um, Will explaining what this match means. Yeah, the, I haven't seen the Robbie Eagles one. I did see the uh, Will Ospreay doing parkour. Through the park. Through the park, which I was just like, you know, I, I don't really have a problem with, with Ospreay. Like, he is one of my favorite wrestlers, you know, going today. I think he's just on a different level. But... Some of the stuff he does is really goofy, and I, I gotta know, was that his idea, or was that someone else's idea? I'm gonna go with that's his idea. Hey, I'll wear my robe, I'll wear my gear, <laughs> we'll go to a public park in Japan, and I'm gonna do quote-unquote parkour, and do some spinning shit, and I'll do an interview while, while I do this. I'm gonna say that's probably his idea, and maybe Will should just, ah, someone should go in there and say, well, that sounds cool and all, but maybe just have a sit-down interview. And then they yeah. just sit on that. But it was okay. It was a little. It, it was different, but I thought a little goofy, that particular one. I, I assume the, the Eagles one was a bit more straightforward and didn't make him look goofy. Yeah, it was him going back to uh, PWA in Sydney and then just doing a sit-down interview behind there and splicing in footage from their previous three singles matches. Yeah, have you seen all of their previous singles matches? I have. In, in Australia. Not in person, but on tape I have. Yes, I've, I've actually would, would made a point of ordering like uh, High Spots Network to, to watch those matches. And then like I kept, the, you know, I kept the membership for a while and I just started watching other things. So, uh, you know, but like that was my main reasoning for like subscribing to another VOD service was just like, okay, all these Eagles... Osprey matches were getting so much hype, so I thought I'd watch them. And no regrets. They're both awesome. I urge people to go out, watch. Uh, it's PWA Black Label is the promotion. PWA right? Black Label, Call to Arms 2017 and Call to Arms 2018. So definitely go check those matches out. Actually, the, the whole shows as a whole, 
I thought were really enjoyable, but definitely, you know, the big draw is Osprey Eagles. And they continued, obviously, that that program in Japan in the best of the Super Juniors. And this is kind of like the culmination of like a, a very, very long storyline between these two, Chris. Yes, it's actually their fourth singles meeting with Eagles winning the past two and Osprey winning the first. So it's it, basically it's it's interesting because in, with that kind of a record, you almost think that Osprey is the underdog in this match, but he's not because he's the IWGP Junior Champion. He's like the biggest star in the world. Like he's just know. won Best of the Super Juniors over Robbie. Yeah, and he's like you know he's going to you know kill it in in the G One climax this year. <laughs> I, so he's got all this momentum going in into this match against Robbie Eagles. And definitely Rob Eagles is portrayed as like the underdog in this match, even though his record against Osprey in singles matches is 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 like he's he's ahead of him. So it's a really interesting dynamic that I thought really added a lot to the match itself. Yeah. Um so before the two men even touched, the crowd was just going insane for Robbie. And then Will stood on the turnbuckle and the crowd booed him which is one of the first times, I think, in Australia that Will's been booed. Well, I mean, he's someone's got to, you know, play the heel. And I think I got the feeling Will Ospreay was just loving it. He was like, oh, I get to do something different. I, I get to pe- play, I get to do heelish shit in this match. And, like, it fits. I think he he was really good as a heel. If you ever saw, like, the stuff he was doing in, in progress this past year with, with Paul Robinson, the Swords of Essex, they were total heels. And I you could just tell Ospreay just, was absolutely loving it. It's a it was a direct contrast to like what how he's portrayed in New Japan and pretty much everywhere else in the world. But I, I I think he really relished it. I think it really changed the dynamics of the match a bit. Him working kind of heelish in this match, and you could just tell like it, it got his creative juices flowing. It, you know, like during some of the spots, he would alter things to be a bit you know kind of meaner to be a kind of more of a dick to to us to uh to eagles and i i thought it added really nice like flavor that you didn't see in their previous matches absolutely and this i think is the longest in the series as well it's longer than their super juniors match this year and i gotta ask you so eagles is not wearing his bullet club outfit he's wearing like i guess what do the colors represent of eagles outfit in this match the green and gold yes yeah, they're the national colors for the sporting teams of Australia. Okay, so he's he's just diving full into like, I'm Australian, I'm from here, support me, I'm the hometown hero. So I, th- that's great. He's also wearing like kind of as a kind of a nod to like what Osprey used to do. He doesn't do this anymore, but like all the flags of all the countries he wrestled in, he would wear them like he wear the tabs of the flags on his on his tights. And like so, uh, Eagles is wearing the Australian flag, like kind of on the back of his belt, uh, like kind of as a kind of, I can do that too, but I don't, I'm not going to represent all these other countries that you know you've been to. I'm going to represent the country that I'm from, which I thought was a really nice touch. Absolutely, and the commentators also brought up during the match about um, Robbie handing Will back the flag, the uh, Japanese flag during the Super Juniors. Yeah, I thought one of the best little kind of like nods to something that happened before that didn't happen in in New Japan. It happened in 
their their last Australian match, and I just thought, bring it, bring that element back to Japan, and then you can, and then take it back to, you know, back to to the rematch that they're gonna have in Australia for this show. Um, what? Let's go over the match. It starts like pretty fast. I I wrote down basically they're going at a hundred miles per hour right off the bat in the. <laughs> Yeah, so before the actual bell rings, ELP is sent to the back by Robbie, but instead he jumps around and sits on a chair at ringside. Then I've got down, it's a move a minute with both men either carrying or avoiding an attack leading to both men kneeling and the fans cheering. Yeah, fantastic. I, it reminded me of those, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen them, the, these early ROH matches between like uh, Low-Key and Amazing Red. Where they're just dodging, like kind of, it looks like they're re- reenacting a martial arts movie. That's what th- this match, not just at the beginning, but throughout the match, you'd see all these like, like kicks being dodged and counter kicks and being dodged, and you know, like them just doing like something that looks like it's something out of like you know a, a Hong Kong action movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that match, but it made me think of um, Offspray Ricochet from the Best of the Super Juniors encounter. Start of this was just so fast and countering and then they just stopped and the fans lost their mind so the the broad strokes of this match were eagles trying to you know damage osprey's left knee because he wants to lock in and win the match with the ron miller special uh and i got i my main takeaway from osprey in this match was that his selling was just at another level like like his selling like from the Osprey I saw fighting Kushida in his New Japan debut at, at Sumo Hall to the Osprey I see now, like the the progression of his psychology and his selling especially is just like unbelievable for me. Yeah, it's um it's amazing to see like how much one wrestler can grow over time. And I I, I don't know who is better at selling than this guy. <laughs> Like, I watched a clip of Shisuke Nakamura fighting Seth Rollins at Sumo Hall and the WWE's character. Oh, and I'm just like, you know, like, they're just beating each other up. And, and I'm just watching Seth, like, ugh, 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 from these from these <laughs> blows from Nakamura. Like, they're not bad. It's just like, okay, dude. Like, I know they're doing a bit. I, I honestly feel that the, the whole ex- Twitter exchange between Seth Rollins and and Will Ospreay is actually them doing an angle with each other and just like trying to play with the with the fans. Like they think they're. I don't think they actually hate each other. I think they probably are just doing a bit. Just getting more they, more eyeballs yeah. on each other. Yeah, exactly. It's it's good for Seth. I I don't think he cares. Like people think he's a dork. He doesn't care. Like he's 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 a champion. He's he's got a good bank account. He's dating Becky Lynch. What what does he care what wrestling fans think? He doesn't. And, and Will Ospreay, he's used to it, and he got a T-shirt out of it. So, you know, like, I think they're totally in this together. I, I think all the things he said about Moxley, you know, is a bit. I think that's, he just called him up, like, I got to do this thing for Sports Illustrated. Vince gave me some notes. I'm going to have to bury you a bit. Yeah, brother. No, just, I don't care. I'll see you on Sunday at the barbecue. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's what that conversation was like. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah absolutely. Um, but back to Ospreay. Yeah, like, this guy is, like, the best seller in the world there's many great sellers in the world but this guy's the best in my estimation he'd be right up there absolutely so um, 
Go ahead. Oh, yes, just go, go quickly over the, the match really quick. I, I so, just think there's so much in this match that it's going to be hard. There's so do. much here. I'll just go for a few bullet points. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. Um, so Eagles flings Osprey and tries to fling Osprey into the rail outside, but Osprey dumps it, lands back on top, and hits a cheerio Eagles on the outside. The crowd is only what I could compare to an Australian Ashes cricket crowd. There's no love for the Englishmen, including chants of, come on, Robbie, come on, come on. Yeah, I th I, the, definitely the crowd really elevated the, the atmosphere of this match. And to the point where, like, things like ELP's involvement in the match, he would interfere in the Towards match. Towards the end, yeah. Um, like... Like if I'm gonna rate this match with with like you know stars, I would say it's a it's a four and a half. It, it would be close to a four and a half, maybe a five star. Without if we had a clean match, I'm the type of person, and I didn't mind it so much because it led to something. There was an angle behind it, but I am someone who does not like interference in big big matches, and I thought this was a big big match, and it they could have done this gotten to the same point with. The breakup of Eagles from from El Fantasma and the Bullet Club without him interfering in the match as much as he did, you know, like as soon as he takes out Red Shoes, he pulls him out and breaks up the count. That to me is like I know they don't want to disqualify people. That's the storyline, but it, to me, it's like that's a disqualification. Once you touch the referee, it's a disqualification, in my estimation. It just makes them look terrible if they don't disqualify wrestlers for touching them. Yeah, so towards the end of the match here, ELP gets involved. Will hits two Oz cutters and tries to pin Eagles, but only gets a two count before ELP drags Red Shoes outside. ELP then jumps in the ring, starts attacking Will, goes gets the belt, but is stopped by Robbie, who then attacks ELP and sends him outside. It's like, did you really have to do this during the match? Yeah. You could have. You could have. I'll, I'll go for the finish here, and then I'll talk about it. Um, so towards the end, the Turbo Backpack is counted into a Snapdragon and an Essex Destroyer by Will for another two count. Will sets up for the Stormbreaker, but is counted into a Hurricane Ragnar by Eagles for a two count. Eagle gets to the top rope, hits the 450 splash, but Will counters uh, into a Crater Pin for a two count. The move minute, Will hits a pitch-perfect Shooting star press for a one count, which Robbie kicks out of, and the crowd cheered massively. Then Will hits the hidden blade and a stormbreaker for the pinfall victory at 3429. Yeah, 3429. I I did not feel that this was a 30 plus minute match. I felt it was like I felt it was like a 15 minute match. I go, yeah. yeah. It oh, just that, flew by. It was so good. Well, you don't notice how long a match is because I I if I saw that as a listing. This is a 30, 34 minute match. I'd be like, oh god, I gotta watch thirty four minutes of any match. Like but when it when you're watching it live and it doesn't feel like it's you know that long, it, it's it's that's that's a good sign. It means like these guys worked it perfectly. They both did their part to create an excellent, excellent pace. Not just like the sprint throughout the whole thing. They slowed it down when it needed to be slowed down. They're they were on their knees at one stage and trading forearms to their feet. And then just trading chops and then back to the corners and then back full pace move a minute 
and just all the setups like for the submissions from Rock the Eagles using the Ron Miller special. I just thought, okay, this is like this is the perfect time to slow down. It's like you're gonna, and but it creates just all this drama because he's he's gonna submit him. You think he's gonna beat him with this move? He's gonna beat him with this move. Listen, I went into this match. I know Osprey's not losing that title before before the G1 because <laughs> that's the whole story with him is that he's gonna. He's a junior this. in a heavyweight competition. Yeah, he's. It doesn't matter if he loses to like, you know, who like the bigger stars in his block. But he's as a junior champion. But he's he's gonna elevate that belt because he's gonna get some really big wins as the junior heavyweight champion. I and I feel that's he's that's a belt he's gonna keep until Wrestle Kingdom. I think that's gonna be one of the headlining matches. Him saying like, I want to headline one of the, a Tokyo Dome show with the junior heavyweight title. I think. That's what he's going to do that in, in January of 2020. Um, I thought, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I thought that they would have Liger's retirement on the fourth and then the heavyweight title head, headline the fifth. Uh, my, I, my theory is that, yeah. is that they're going to they're gonna keep the traditional date as the big date and that January 4th is going to have Naito versus Okada for the, for the title. And yep. then Liger's retirement is either going to semi-main that or it's going to semi-main the fifth show. I think if if Hiromu's coming back, they're going to do Osprey versus Hiromu as the main event oh, of of the, the Tokyo Dome on January 5th. That's what I yeah. think. That's while, my guess. While I want to see that match, I don't want to see it at the same time after what happened last time. Uh, what, with Hiromu? Yeah, with Hiromu. Yeah, but he's not going to come back unless they legit clear the dude. Like, he, he has to be healthy to do it. Uh, if he's coming back, then I think that's the match they're building towards. It's either that or they're going to do the rematch with Ibushi somehow. Like, maybe Ibushi's going to drop drop weight and become a junior heavyweight again. I don't know. Uh, but I can see it being Hiromu. Like, the thing is, is like, Hiromu is... Osprey's not going to do anything to Hiromu that is going to target his neck. You know what I mean? He's going to he's going to take all the offense on his neck, right? I'd be more worried if Hiromu was facing Ibushi in that case. You know what I mean? Like I think Will Osprey is a perfectly safe wrestler for the most part, right? He's he's more in danger of hurting himself rather than his opponent. So I I wouldn't worry about any match involving Hiromu Takahashi and Will Osprey together. I think. If if that's what the match they're building to, if it's at the Tokyo Dome, I I think it will draw a lot of people. I I think it'll be uh, a match that Hiromu will be able to do without anyone worrying about his neck breaking again. And like they'll tease it obviously, but they're not going to do actually do anything that will actually risk him getting a neck injury again. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the what did I have? My big moments from this match were the were the corkscrew moonsault from Osprey from the top oh, rope to Eagles, who's on the floor. Like that's that was just insane. Uh, I like the part where Eagles was diving. It looks like he's going for Osprey, but he hits ELP instead. And I was just like, that was really well timed because like it just leaves so much. Like doubting your mind is like, was he going for Osprey? Was he going for ELP? We don't know. At this point in the match, we don't know what Eagles is thinking. Um, and then, yeah, then the the finish. I, you know, the you know, he does 
what was the setup for the the Stormbreaker again, Chris? Um, he did an inside cradle two count, got back up, hit the shooting star press for a one count, then hit the hidden blade, then the Stormbreaker. That's right. The nice touch on the hidden blade was that he didn't take the elbow pad off. He was look he's good at do it, and then he's a Changed his mind, kept it on, hit the hidden blade, and then he hit. The he looked at him like he was still his friend. Yes, he didn't want to potentially injure him. It, it, it's something like he, he has no problem doing to like Ibushi, or probably <laughs> I can see at some point he's gonna have a rematch with ELP, and he's gonna take that fucking elbow pad off and just and just like fucking murder <laughs> El Fantasma with with the hidden blade. Absolutely. Um. So, and then after the bell rings, Eagles and Offspray are in the ring, standing in opposite corners, and ELP enters and wants the too sweet from Robbie. But we don't get it. Instead, we get Robbie Eagles turning on El Fantasmo, presumably leaving Bullet Club, and I guess one of the big undercard storylines into the G1 Climax, or during the G1 Climax, will be... Robbie Eagles, like, maybe teaming up with uh, Chaos and, and joining Will Ospreay in, in that faction and become maybe his tag team partner for the time that Osprey is still in the junior heavyweight division. Yeah, that would be interesting to see if Robbie is on the G1 tour, if he doesn't already have commitments in Australia, and then where his allegiance lies the next time he is in New Japan. If it's not during the G1, it's okay. Like, like that's that. The main focus is always going to be the the G1 itself. The G1, yeah. Um, I, I, you know what? I don't know if he's on the undercard on that tour. So it's okay if we do it in September. We continue the story in September. That's perfectly fine, as well. But we should move on because believe it or not, everyone, there was actually another match after this. I don't know why, and I don't know why it involved bad luck Fale. You know, there's nothing bad luck Fale or, or you know, uh, Gerard Way cosplayer Jay White. Uh, we're going to do in this match. Oh, was gonna match. He's, yeah, he's, you know, like, he's, he's seen like uh, Jay White's new vest. He, he, oh, yes, yes. Yeah, he's like Gerard Way from fucking My Chemical Romance, right? Oh, yes, now I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, or I, as I call them on Twitter, My Chemical Switchblade. That might be my new nickname for, uh, for Jay White. But yeah, and Bubba Ray, Bubba Ray Fale, my chemical switchblade. There, there's nothing either of those two are going to do that was going to match the performance put in by either Robbie Eagles or you know, Will Ospreay, despite yes. having, you know, despite having Tanahashi and Okada in, like, on the opposite side of the ring from them. This should have gone on 7th and Robbie and uh, Osprey should have closed the show. Definitely. Like I, I know the reason why they had it is to hype up the G1, but you could have easily have done that with it being in the semi-main spot. And and you know what? Why not headline a show with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title? Like You've got the hometown hero. You have the biggest star in all of wrestling in Will Ospreay. And, well, you know, people say John Moxley, but you know, like He's one of he's up there. Osprey's up there with him. You know what I mean? They're both Absolutely. in that in that stratosphere. So why wouldn't you headline with that and make that title more important instead of being the semi-main to like a meaningless 
tag match. And you know, spoiler here, everyone, this match, this tag match was meaningless. It had it had no heat to it for me. Like the heat came from everyone being totally in love with Kazuchika Okada. People popping for him taking off the you know the the pants, showing that he's wearing his biker shorts. That 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 was it. Honestly, that was it. And when he chanted Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi to the crowd, that was the only two times I heard the child cry. Yes, because Bad Luck Fale is terrible. He is like a negative denominator in any match he's in. He's like the negative integer in your algebra class. You know what I mean, Chris? That's what he is to any match. This match could be five stars. Bad luck follows in it. Oh, it's now a three-star match. You know what I mean? Because he's he adds minus two to everything he's in. Because he's so horrible. I hate his gimmick. He's lazy. The only reason he still has a job is because of Fale Do- uh, Dojo. Fale Dojo. That's so big. But if I'm New Japan, I would just say, listen, Fale, dude, we appreciate the pipeline of talent you've brought into it. Jay White. Tohenare. That's fine. We're Eagles. just going to make a... E- okay, Eagles. Because he's also, I guess, like the... You know, the pipeline for Australian talent, too. So, yes. okay, so you could be an office guy. We'll pay you a good, you know, like, uh, salary to be an office dude. You don't have to wrestle anymore. In fact, we don't want you to wrestle anymore because that just detracts from your appeal to us, you know? If I'm Fale, like, then you don't have to, like, pretend to, like, try to lose weight anymore. Like, make these videos where I, I lost 20 pounds. Then he's just going to gain it back again over the course of, like, Two months after the G1 is done, you know, what was the point of all that? I I was excited last year. Okay, he lost weight. He's putting some effort to this. Shits the bed. All right. I, oh, last I, year's G1 was absolutely dreadful with Bullet Club. Yeah, with all of them, including White, including like well, he was Tama. In, Tama. Tama and him just shit the bed. White wasn't that much better, to be honest. Let's be let's be perfectly fair. But you know, like. This match was just designed to hype up the G1, but you don't need to, to hype up the G1. The G1 in of itself is going to hype itself up just so you can see Tana and Okada just point at each other. We're one-on-one in Dallas. We're, and just so we can hear Chris Charlton say, they're destined for Dallas. I'm like, you could have had that in the semi-main event. All of that could have been in the semi. You didn't need to close the show with that. And even the closing show statement, like, I'm sorry, but there is absolutely nothing to this match. Like, Tanahashi's in, Okada starts with Fale, then they work over Tanahashi for pretty much forever. Then Okada gets back in, hits two Rainmakers and wins. Honestly, this this is the kind of match you would find third from the bottom on a road to show. That's what this match was. I'm, even with the, if it being the dream team of Okada and Tanahashi, it was not worked as a main event match. Because they knew they couldn't follow Osprey and Eagles, and and they, I, I, I don't know. If I was Okada, I would have just campaigned. Listen, just put me in the semi main. Let these guys close the show. Let Eagles talk to the to the fans after. That's what I would have done personally. But it is what it is. So Eagles and Osprey must see Rocky El Fantasmo worth watching. What do you feel, Chris? Um, if you want to check out anything from the Aussie guys, I'd recommend this Flex match as well. They should be up on New Japan World in 72 hours play, they said. Yeah, would, would you recommend, like, anything beyond, 
Like, sorry, I didn't hear the if you were recommending anything beyond like the two matches I mentioned. Oh, uh, and the uh, Slex solo match. If you want to check out one of the top Australian guys who's not with the major promotion. Yeah, I definitely Slex was someone who I really enjoyed on the undercard. I would Honest. say that's it's worth a watch. It's like it's you're not going to waste your time necessarily, even with Slex being in there with average Aaron. But you know, I would say it's okay to you know like he's he's worth watching. Everything else, to me, is entirely skippable on this show. Yeah, I think that's what's so disappointing about it from from an Australian perspective. Like, there's not a lot of takeaways from this actual event. No, and I don't think the the, the card uh, tomorrow in Sydney looks that much better, to be honest. It looks actually less exciting than this one. It is not live on Fog, for those who are wondering. It might be uploaded later as VOD on New Japan, but there is no official word on that yet. Yeah. So that brings us to the close of the show. Do you have any final thoughts about Southern Showdown, Chris? I didn't ask you how long that match went. How long do you think that match went? Uh, Well, I'm going to say it probably went about 12 to 15 minutes, but it felt like 25. It was 20 minutes. It was 20 minutes? Oh, yeah. No. So it felt a little short. It, it felt longer than it actually was still. So I still feel I'm correct in my estimation then. Yeah, and then Akata said, thank you. Fans chanted best in the world. And he said, yes, we are. Yes, I am. And that was pretty much the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah, That that's it. Um, anything else that we should talk about, Chris? We do have a couple of bits of feedback if you want to yeah let's hear those hear from that okay so i'm just going to light it up so for my estimation i i really you know thought you know, definitely it's worth watching just for the junior heavyweight title match it's one of the be- best matches you'll see and that's saying something when you're talking about like another osprey match that's you know fantastic you know he's just killing it out there this year i don't know who's going to catch up to him in the you know the best of polls like and i get there are people who don't like osprey it's cool if you don't like osprey i get it if you don't even like his matches you think wrestler a from this promotion is better than osprey that's cool i'm just saying just for myself and and like it's a it's a sentiment shared by many many people that osprey is kind of clearly the front runner among a majority of fans if you're an outlier that's cool i respect that i can be an outlier too about certain things but another awesome, uh, you know, match performance from Will Ospreay and from Robbie Eagles as well. If you're a fan of either, definitely, definitely check out this match at the very least. And if you don't want to pay the full amount on fight, it will be up, yeah, 72 hours roughly on New Japan World in English. And they did a Japan comment- uh, Japanese commentary as well. Yes, they did. Um, Toriano was part of the uh, Japanese commentary after his atrocious performance with uh, Gino Gambino. Um, so we've got Anthony from Melbourne, who was actually there live. He says, uh, just got home from the show and probably witnessed the best match I've seen live. Eagles versus Offspray was amazing. I could see it getting four stars. The crowd were hot. It really should have been in the main event slot, in my opinion. The story from their previous matches and the new story with ELP were what appeared and what appeared to be a face turn were all fantastic. 
Um, it goes on to say, I hope how how hot the crowd was where it comes across well on TV because Robbie was over, unlike Mike Nichols. It was an example of just because it's your hometown, if you're not over, you're not over. Okay. I actually got a direct piece of uh, feedback from someone else who was there, uh, Rory O'Brien Kelly, who's also a part of the, uh, you know, the big fandom over at Post Wrestling. Hey, guys, I'll start off with the venue. It wasn't the most organized experience I've had. Uh, meet and greet was a bit of a nightmare with a weird system. The setup consisted of a tarp off section. Uh, the show started hot and strong with started off hot and with a strong MCW and Fale Dojo contingent. Slex was very hot, and I see a bright future for him in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Crowd enjoyed Juice and loved G.O.D., but all in all, Will Ospreay and Rob Eagles was the standout match. It was the best match by far and had the crowd heated. A standing ovation by everyone and a good story progression afterwards with Eagles and Phantasmo. Uh, one match show, but had the vibe of a larger and louder Cork and Hall show. Well, thank you, Rory, from Melbourne, Australia. Anything else? Just, uh, just Anthony went on to post a little bit more. Slex had a good showing on the undercard. It was reasonable, but not great in terms of star power. Ticket sales were obviously soft, as I originally had front row balcony seats but they closed the balcony last week and moved us to the back of floor seats. Luckily, I was able to rebuy some second row tickets and then resell by contrasting the last Melbourne show in the same building uh, featuring the Elite was full. Oh, the, uh, the last New Japan Melbourne show he's referring to there, sorry. It was actually, yeah, pretty full last time. So I haven't seen any photos yet, but judging by this, they had the balcony teared off and maybe some of the upper bowl so that's that's not good no you know i'd be pissed if i was him because like i like the balcony i especially if i had first row balcony seats i'm i would be like and they put me on the floors in the back i'd be like fuck you no way you're upgrading me to like better seats if i'm on the floors because like balcony like if you're in the front row of any balcony in japan it's a good seat whether it's Edion Hall, with Edion Arena, Osaka Joe Hall, Cor Cor uh, not Corkin, sorry, uh, Sumo Hall, Budokan, like those front rows of the balconies are amazing places to sit. I would rather sit there than like third row of the front of like on the floors, and definitely better than in the back. Are you kidding me? That's bullshit. That's a downgrade. That is a downgrade. Um, Ridiculous. Then lastly, he says, also did the meet and greet. That was somewhat poorly organized. It was the same when I went there last year too. We waited outside in the heat for about an hour before they left in. Uh, despite plenty of room in the area, uh, they held off letting people in, which forced us to wait outside in the rain for at least half an hour. Then wait another 15 minutes so I go and meet Jay White and Okada. So I'm still happy. Sounds like he had fun at the show, at least. Yeah, that's good. Like, you know, I, I, I think I don't know if this is like on the venue staff or on New Japan themselves. Like, wait, make, making people wait out in the heat is very common <laughs> in Japan. You know, because it's so fucking hot here in the summer. So, like, when they have like things like the G One and they and and you know people are waiting outside, it's we're we're used to it, so they probably think it's okay. But it's it's not summer there. 
it's it's winter there. Yeah, it's winter, and my brother, who actually lives in Melbourne, said they got pretty tor- torrential rain today. Yeah, that that's gotta suck. I can't imagine people are are happy watching a show with with wet feet if if their if their shoes got wet and stuff like that. But anyways, any any more feedback? No, that was the only one I got on the board, and I posted it just before the main event. Okay. Well, with that being said, let's wrap up this review of Southern Showdown from New Japan Pro Wrestling emanating from Festival Hall in Melbourne, Australia. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks for a lot of the, the historical perspective about uh, about Festival Hall, about Robbie Eagles' uh, homage to Ned Kelly, about so many other things. It's something I would not have been able to bring to the show myself, so I really appreciate you coming on to the show and helping me out with that aspect of it. No, no, thanks for having me on. It's been a great experience. And for those uh, who are interested in like maybe uh, following you and, and discovering more, because you, you're going to have some stuff on your own in, in terms of podcasting. Let's tell us where we can find more of Chris Sunder. So coming November, I'm looking to launch my own podcast, but I'm not ready to say too much on that yet. Um, but yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, and it's at I am Chris Funder. I'm also active on the uh, post wrestling community through their forum as well. Yeah, great, and you can follow me at at WH Park Nine. Of course, you can listen to me every month on the uh, Post Perez podcast with John Pollock. And uh, this coming up, this uh, show coming up will be our G1 Primer in lieu of our monthly uh, show. So it'll be myself, John Pollock, and Waiting going through all the participants of the G1 Climax. We're going to go through the key matches of each show and uh, yeah, and then maybe discuss who we think is going to go into the finals on the uh, final day of the G1. So the, the cruel summer continues on on the uh, the G1 primer on the upcoming edition of Post Perez. And I should also plug that. That would be very remiss. You can also follow my G1 Climax a final series where I review each and every G1 Climax finals from 1991 to 2018 at postwrestling.com. Every Saturday and Sunday, two episodes get dropped. Uh, what's coming up this this week is uh, I'm so at a loss. I know the guests. One is Matt McEwen. He'll, his episode will be dropping later today. He does Hashimoto versus no, who does he do? I can't remember. Dude, I've been recording like crazy, so I can't remember. But on, on Sunday, JP Houlihan from the Grapple Spotlight podcast will be on to talk with me with who we do. Ah, you know what? They're not it's double Nakanishi week. So Mudo versus Nakanishi with Matt McEwen and uh, Nakanishi versus Kensuke Sasaki with JP Houlihan coming up this weekend on the postwrestling.com uh, podcasting network. Uh, wherever you find all your various uh, podcasts, you can find. Uh, those shows. Anyways, for Chris Thunder, I want to thank everyone for listening, and I'll see everyone at the next edition of Post Perez, the G1 Primer. Until then, goodbye.